This episode is brought to you by Tempest Fugitives. Tempest Fugitives is the largest HEMA shop and reseller in Britain with a massive array of weapons and HEMA gear from a variety of manufacturers. The Tempest Fugitives jackets are lightweight and breathable and they look sexy as hell. And I just picked up two black fencer parrying daggers from Tempest Fugitives, one for me and one for Melissa, which we've been having loads of fun with. It's great to pull them out in the middle of a fight when nobody's expecting it. And they're like, what? What's that? Too late. Dagger to the face. Visit www.tempestswords.co.uk. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Blades for Days, where we're going to be talking about swords and sword fighting and training methodology and astronaut analogies. I'm your host, Jordan, and joining me is easily one of the best fighters I have ever had the pleasure of crossing swords with. That sounded weirder than I'd intended it. Jack Gassman. How are you doing, man? Yeah, really good. Um, things are opening up, which means that... Mm -hmm my my life is a kind of good chaotic if, if that makes yeah, sense yeah very um, much sympathized yeah no i can imagine uh i mean things in ireland are sort of uh, you know i was talking to emmett from raven heart mm -hmm. forge um shout out to raven heart forge because uh, i love his stuff and he he makes me lots of cool things um but we were talking about ireland and how it's kind of everything's kind of messed up uh, so how's that for you? Well, um, like it's been great. Like um, we've got we had some show bookings come in fairly last minute, like for a because we do like um, live event shows with jousts and stunts on horseback and stuff like that. So um, we've been trying to s sort that out, and we rented a whole bunch of uh, tack out for Disney for disenchanted in wicklow no, that's and cool. been, yeah and that's been we did that and then that's been coming the stuff has been coming back slowly for that and all the bureaucratic stuff you deal with whenever you deal with a large company um so yeah and loss and damage reports <laughs> and blah, blah 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 um so yeah that's just been more paperwork than it sounds like and there's been some film work and film business stuff kind of moving along um so that's and then we've uh because the one show came up so last minute i'm trying to organize a second full set of norman uh 12th century norman male so oh. we can have two riders and do then do um sparring horse to horse and with two riders and full male so like a 12th century joust style that's nice and and when we do the events, we also tend to try and link it to um, like there's an acting element and a script element of the story of what's happening. And we do fights to kind of symbolize the struggles between the different historical characters. So also writing the script for that last minute. Um, my, there's some other projects that might be in the works for next year that I can talk about um that have also been taking up a fair amount of time so and still have to make a bunch of kit for that because it, normally we try and plan these things um like three months in advance minimum so we've been doing it in a month 
yeah. they just decided to call us because everything's happening so fast with lockdown. Oh, and we were also insurance is a big, th big, big thing in Ireland that's gotten worse since uh, COVID. Um, basically, we've been trying, we've, uh, we were asked to do just like an archery stand at a local kind of country house. Yeah, which has a bunch of stuff. We've been trying to for a month now trying to get insurance for that. They won't even give us insurance for just here, give kids foam arrows and point them. Yeah. Um, Alessia just got uh, stun, uh, stunt gigs on a, on a couple of um, cool projects here in Ireland um, in film. Um, so, and then there's, uh, and um, yeah, there's also some documentaries happening. So like, there's been a lot of different stuff going on. And then now the Swiss decide, Olivier Soto and Bergi just called me out of nowhere and decided they wanted a, a tournament uh, in, in two weeks. So I've been organizing a HEMA event. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and we also want the results to be on HEMA ratings. So I'm like, oh shit, I have to actually fence for, I have to be in shape for that and do all this stuff. So <laughs> Yeah, man, that sounds uh, that that sounds pretty rough. Here's the thing, right? I'm I'm really lucky when it comes to organization and stuff because I have people um I have people with me who I don't think they do it I don't think they do it because they like me. I think they do it because they pity me, right? They see me like trying to organize stuff and they're like just 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 let us do it okay because you're hurting yourself and the people around you um so just just give us this uh so i'm i'm quite lucky in that regard and i had a student and he's really you know he's really keen he's really this and we were i said right we're going to do like a unit combat primer day so i'm going to teach you how to fight as part of a unit as you know um mm -hmm. rather than just like one-to-one -one kind of thing and uh I, like i i've planned it out like we're going to do this in a month and he's just sending me loads and loads of questions about like, what, what about this? What about that? And I'm like, dude, look, you don't know me all that well yet. Um, so I'm going to let you in on a little secret. What I'll do is I will procrastinate for the whole month until like maybe a day before the event. And then I'll panic organize everything because that's when I'm at my very best. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you, you know, that like the, the Swiss half of me competes with the, with like the, uh, the American half of me on that. Like there's a fair amount of me that just kind of wants everything planned with minute detail beforehand. Yeah. And part of me that doesn't, and part of it is like live show, like live shows, like choreographed stuff, especially with horses, you can't just decide to do or panic organize the day before. Yeah. And especially with like, I, I, I have developed in the last year an abiding hatred for the for the Irish insurance industry. Yeah, like it's not even, it, it's getting kind of nuts at the moment. And I mean, like seriously, even crashes, and um, and cafes are are closing because they can't. You can't get insurance for even doing just like child daycare now. That's insane. Like I, Melissa and I, because I'm doing this um, 100 days of fighting thing. Yeah, um, that's a really good thing. I, that's congrats on that. How's that going? 
Uh, yeah, really good. Uh, it's like we just passed day 50. Um, I think I may have done some nerve damage to my right hand, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah uh, did it with a pop in the elbow? Um, it's kind of... I messed it up years ago anyway, because I, I broke it. Uh, I dislocated two of the metacarpals. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't hemorrhoid-related, but like, yeah, every now and again, it just... it. Like it just kind of reminds me that I'm getting older and you know all of that sort of stuff, and uh, it's just like, hey, remember me? And I'm like, oh yeah. Um, yeah. So it's going really well. But one of the one of the days we just uh, we rocked up to um, Tritawa uh, Manor House, and um, like there's a like a castle in the background, and we just on the off chance took um, our fencing jackets and small swords. I just went, we'll, you know, we'll see if they let us do it. Um, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. And we just walked in and we were like, hey, can we can we fight? And the guy just like swiveled around on his chair uh, and just went, yeah, go for it. Uh, and that was it. Like, there was no, ooh, do you have a risk assessment? Uh, you know, mm, I don't know about this or whatever. He went, yeah, just don't damage the property. Go for it. Um so, and I mean, I know every, like not everywhere is going to be like that. I've dealt with uh, English heritage and Cadu and they're yeah. you know, be quite particular about uh, about things, which I appreciate because like, obviously I don't want any historical sites getting, um, you know, getting messed up or anything. But at the same time, when you're getting cafes closing, it's like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, Irish insurance industry is actually currently under investigation by the EU for, um, I think it's both monopoly and uh, and trading in bad faith. Um, it's it is a genuine thing. Um, so yeah, um, I, I'm like uh, as far as organization, like I, I am very lucky that like we're not. Uh, this isn't by no means like a a, a one man show like. Alessia, my girlfriend, she runs most of the horse stuff and yeah. she's constantly busy there. <laughs> and Paul Reck is like a godsend for a lot of the stuff and doing like the Monstrum Witcher project. He's spearheading that and he's building props for that all the time. And, you know, we've got um, like, we've got a very, very lucky, t- we have a very small crew, but like, they're all very solid and we've got a couple new guys come in who are like hammer and tongs at it like i we have got what i got one student um who's he cut he he's on he's 17 or something he's now working uh, during summer break he's working uh picking potatoes like 10 hours a day and then he goes for an hour run and does weight training in the evening when he's on the on the uh on the four days a week he's not here training for fencing so like he i mean it's it's good to it's good to see that yeah absolutely 100 percent um it's it's nice having solid people that you know you can rely on um just i've got like i've got quite a few of those guys in the academy and i know that Mm -hmm. you know I know they're going to train. Like I know that yeah. when they when they come to the academy, and like for those for those two hours when they belong to me, <laughs> they're going to give yeah. me like one hundred percent. And it's it's that thing of like 
it will be there 100 percent you know and i've i've said yeah. this, um i've said this before uh probably on the podcast like a bunch of times and i've definitely said it to people in conversation i can't remember when i'm like on the podcast talking to people and like the stories i've told like a billion times or whatever um if it's if it's been recorded or not but yeah anyway um like i will take you know like i will take somebody who if they can just give me 10 push-ups and that is their 100 percent. but like every push-up they like really really pushed it just to get those push-ups through um i'll take those 10 and i'll be like i'll be so proud of them and so grateful over somebody who could just knock out 100 and just be like yeah i'm not even sweating it and it's like well if you can do 100 do like give me a thousand kind of thing you know yeah i know i know exactly what you mean no and like that that's the willingness to kind of push up against your boundaries is is so much of it you know it's that kind of because like fencing is like especially on, on the higher levels it's still very much a contact sport you know and like you, there's at some point like you're going to be moving directly into someone who is going to hit you with a long sword in a way that is going to cause you physical pain oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> like, and like when you're talking about like juiced up in the finals like and you're already sore and broken at like one of the major events against someone who is big and strong and fast you like you're if you move into them half the point like there's a good chance amount of, well you're not going to parry every shot and a lot of them are going to hurt so you got to like have that willingness to go like this sucks but i the body is going to now obey me to do the thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's like, and not in like, not in a kind of like, oorah masochistic kind of like way, but like, you know, if Fahima to some extent is a contact sport like boxing or, you know, wrestling where something's you are going to hurt and you have to accept that and you also have to kind of make sure that your students are depending on where how much they want to engage but if someone are is wanting to compete at a higher level i do feel they're going to have to be ready they should un be ready for them to have experienced a little bit of that before they do it like defend the wall is a great one like and you can do defend the wall like very not with a whole bunch of force, but with a lot of, with a high tempo and also with a lot, very kind of um, tricky. Like one of the best, fun, most fun things if you're going to defend the wall is just smash the same cut again and again and again and again and again. So like cut right over how, right over how, right over how, and just at some point people at the beginning, they'll freeze and they'll, They'll, start, they'll move the sword somewhere else because they think something else is going to happen and you just keep going. And then they freeze and think that if they freeze, you're going to stop hitting them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's 40 it's a 40-second circuit. You have 40 seconds to defend the wall. And you keep hitting them. And then they go, oh, shit, I have to keep defending myself. And you, like, they know that's the game, but somehow they think it's going to stop. And I think that's sometimes important to get 
into your into your head that you know this is something defending myself is something important and i do think generally i do notice in a lot uh it's a easy trap to get into to focus on offense offense in your when training a lot of easy to go this is how you land this attack this is how you land that attack this is a fairhouse attack a shield house an attack a sword house an attack and i think it's easy to focus on how to get better at attacking without spending a substantial amount of time on defending and i think that's also a bit of a mistake when you're dealing with um with with a sport like this or an art like this whatever you want to call it um where you're getting substantial amount of of hits into your head yeah without you know like they measured the average strike at swordfish like for when they were doing the pro gauntlets in the dark ages like 2012 they had swordfish uh, uh, like a, a newton me a measurement um 3000 newtons was the average. So that's like I think that's what I calculated it once it's like 600 pounds of force. Yeah. So that's also when you're teaching people to strike you also have to keep in mind that like when their joints and their muscles are going to be dealing with 3000 pounds of force at the highest levels <coughs> to get at the end because of just how the velocity works and everything so i think a lot of the time when we underestimate what our what hema actually demands of us yeah and our bodies um i completely agree because when i started the academy i was still doing a lot of um krav maga and i yeah. was like the the conditioning the expectations of the conditioning is completely different in some respects because you can't like you can't really condition yourself for a sharp blade you know like if you take a sharp blade to the neck you can't like <gasps> sort of take it in the way that, that you you know you can sort of shrug your shoulders and try and take a punch or whatever so i was like you know and i was thinking about this um and one of the things that i keep telling my students um especially the newer ones who kind of like you know they're like oh, i want to get the hit in and they do the kamikaze thing and then they double and they're like why do i keep doubling and it's like because you're not thinking at all about defense you know yeah i understand that you're trying to take the vor and you're trying to sort of take the initiative and you know offense is a good de defense etc cetera, etc cetera. but you know i say to them like you can you can fuck up your offense like every, you can fuck up a strike 100 times. And if you get it right once, you're golden. You know, you get it right 101 on the 101th uh, first attempt, once, <laughs> the 101st attempt, and you're golden. If you fuck up your defense once, then you're done, you know? Um, and I feel like that's something that I try to get my guys mm -hmm. to understand early on so that they fence properly if that makes sense yeah i think like for me like what one thing that's very like coming from my, my two main other backgrounds are kind of acting and horses probably or more horses than acting to be honest but like there you get very quickly 
the idea of kind of communication and physical communication and like fencing is just communication by other means for me and like it's it's very clear in, in horses I make a physical action and I'm and I elicit a response or the horse creates makes a physical reaction that needs to elicit a response from me it's kind of that give and take for enough like either you're create, creating an action that creates a reaction or you're creating an act or you're uh, reacting to an action or you're both act and then there's the other state which is the both are acting but nobody's reacting like that's kind of like when everything is kind of foobar um you and that's kind of like that take, but that's the normal until you learn the language. Like yeah. in, and it's, it's, I find the, the question of how much to push beginners into the defensive is a really interesting one that I, I've been thinking about, a, that I kind of have switched back and forth multiple times over the last decade. Um, because like, if you are teaching them to be defensive and wait for something to come in in longsword you're often setting them up for uh, a really hard time because longsword is a very offensive system like you you've got an awful lot of firepower and not much cover um because you have three edges i mean you have point set false and long edge and a myriad and thumb grip and a myriad ways of attacking. Uh, lots of um, the two hands make a lot of attacks viable that are not viable in single-handed weapon. You don't, you're standing in profile, your hands are open, etc., etc., etc. There's not much actually helping, lots of inertia with the weapon that makes it harder to move the weapon in order to defend compared to like a saber or something or messer where it's quite nimble on the defense. But on the other hand, yeah, you have to be waiting on your time. Like, I, I think, I, I think it's just, I've come down on the side, for me at the moment, it's just, they'll eventually figure it out. Like, you have to just shove a lot of data down the pipe until they realize that's a bad idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. but I think the other, the other big thing is um, adding in different goals and scenarios I, do, I work a lot with um sparring games that's one of my favorite ways of teaching can like giving different rules one of the fun games you can do at the beginning is um we call it the duke's son so one guy is the duke's son and you can't seriously injure him right so you just mainly have to defend for a certain time until somebody pulls the drunken duke son off of you and get, <laughs> takes away his sword or you have to non-lethally subdue the duke's son without doing anything that will get you murked by the duke yeah um so like that's always like adding in one of those things because like one thing i have to i, I i'm kind of big on is the only rule of fencing is fence to the objective. And because there's only, there's so many, we, we like to think about this mythical real fight. When you go into the sources, there is no real fight. Like 
whether you're defending a doorway, um, whether you're trying to take a door, or you're taking that doorway that has crossbows overwatching it, you're going to be very fighting very differently. The guy who has to get through that doorway to be safe from the crossbows doesn't give a fuck about you. The crossbows are way more dangerous than whether... <laughs> sure, he'll take a stab through the arm getting through that doorway if it gets him away from those crossbows. Yeah. Like, um, or, you know, you're too... Like, the, the most common one we like to think of is what I call the, the reluctant professionals model where like they're two professionally highly trained swordsmen who are being forced to fight each other semi against their will by this powerful evil force that has tell, tell, told them that only one will leave the arena alive, you know, kind of thing. And I'm, <laughs> but like, when you think about when violence actually happens, it's usually a really bad choice. So someone's acting irrationally, like just, being completely honest, violence is very rarely the best way out of a situation. Yeah. And even if in a military, but and even in a military context, you're probably, your job probably isn't to kill everybody. Your job is to take the castle or take the hill or secure this person or drive them off from the position. You're trying to achieve that, not total massacre, unless there's something very weird going on. Um, so I, I like to get people to th think about what am I actually trying to achieve and what is my opponent trying to achieve? And for me, that's where kind of fencing becomes very much more interesting when you're thinking in terms of what's actually going on. And that's why I also kind of like, I don't mind the fact that r rule sets will always give you a certain kind of way the game should be played because i find that an interesting objective to go like okay what do i think the fight should be and what is the rules telling me the fight is because that's kind of the scenario the landscape you're fighting on and the terrain always determines the fight so like maybe it's a wet maybe the system is telling me that i need to be more aggressive maybe it needs to be i need to be more defensive maybe for some reason this place is open this uh target is more important on the, my opponent than this target who the hell knows maybe they're wearing a really thick hat today and headshots are not as powerful or they're not wearing a shirt i don't know like there's weird shit going on all the time you know maybe they're maybe they're drunk so after blows are going to be more dangerous um so like i, th I think that's something uh, and i think that's also one thing that I really love about HEMA is that we change the landscape so often. Because once you get specialization in for a specific rule set, things tend to go in weird directions. Yeah, and I mean, I've been discussing this recently with uh, a few people um, because I've been talking to them about the difference between things like Kenjutsu and Kendo and Jujitsu and Judo and mm. how you get people who are just really good at this sort of specific subset of skills, you know, because mm -hmm. um, I was watching the Olympics, uh, the, the Judo Olympics, and um, 
was watching, you know, they get chucked on the floor and, you know, it's like, cool, you get the points and, and then the person gets back up again. And I, I, you know, I'm under no illusions. If I went toe to toe with somebody who is, you know, even, even probably just a blue belt in judo, they wreck my shit, but they put me on the floor and then I'd get back up again, you know? Um, yeah. I'd, yeah, it depends on the flow on the throws. Some of those throws can be pretty <laughs> brutal. Oh yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But it's it's the fact that you know, and I'm not saying like, oh, it's a, you're right. Some of those throws are absolutely savage. You know, and you land badly on your shoulder. Um, that's it. You know, if you land badly on your head, that could be it for you yeah. forever. You know, I'm not saying that. You know, I'm not saying that that's like uh, whatever kind of thing uh, or, or um that i don't admire yeah, fair enough I get, uh, yeah I, I get the point yeah but, like there's no follow-up there's no exactly, yeah exactly it's so, like you know there's, there's a part of me that's like okay i'm not advocating that you kick him while he's down or anything but you know it's like um i was uh, i was training with my coach uh daniel on yep. uh, sunday before work because uh he we do uh bjj and um I, I was just like, okay, I want to pressure test takedowns. Um, so we were just doing like a bunch of tests. So we're, you know, we're starting out with hand fighting and then moving yeah. up the arms and then like, just, I'm trying to throw him. And the guy is gotta be, he's like Melissa's height. So I'm head and shoulders taller than this guy. Uh, I'm going to put a video up of us fighting at some point, um, just like 20 seconds or so, but he just wrecks my shit every time and the thing is i even if i do manage to get a takedown on him and i take him down to the ground i have no chance of keeping him there he's just like he's suddenly all over me um and mm -hmm. you know and he's got me in an ankle lock he's got me in an arm bar and i'm like ah oh, christ you know so yeah. um, it's it's that thing of like you know when you over specialize you breed in weakness kind of thing um so yeah. i know what you mean in terms of uh, fencing because I had this thing in class at one point and we were doing unit combat way before COVID and it was groups of three trying to take a like a, a spot uh, like a king of the hill kind of thing and um, I said okay you know like anything goes if you want to stab people in the back that's fine but what's the objective right so what would happen is you'd get the first people would take the you know they'd become the kings of the hill they'd stay there the three of them would stay there and then everybody else was just backstabbing each other because they it's like they were just like well this is fun I'll, like i'll do this and it's like yeah cool but those three have been stood there for quarter of an hour now and they haven't even had to lift their sword you know um so maybe think about the objective before just going around stabbing each other in the back because at any point anybody trying to take the hill would just immediately get job from behind and then it was like it, it was just this like meat grinder of like okay we'll go back to the start and all this sort of stuff so i i agree with you completely and even to the point where if you want to improve your own training beyond trying to understand it from a historical context um and go well you know this is this for this reason um it's, it's nice to be able to go, okay, so, you know, what is my objective today? Is it mm -hmm. to work on this particular thing that I keep getting wrong? Um, is it maybe to, like, be able to close measures so that we can fight, you know, so I can get comfortable fighting face-to-face -face with my opponent as opposed to, um, you know, 
like at the uh, in the zoo factor, like how like how comfortable am I closing into the Krieg or the the um, the Strata, you know? Um, so yeah, I agree with you on that. I think that that's that's it's it's not just important for Hema, uh, you know, just just so that we go okay. Well, these are why we have these different rules, but also just as martial artists, you know, yeah. uh, to go, uh, you know, this is what I want to work on personally. And so this is my goal and this is my objective. And this is the reason why I'm going to do this thing today. Yeah, no, I, I like the, as I go, time goes on, the more and more I, I turn to very specialized, like sparring games that specifically target one thing to learn. As kind of like one of my favorite ways of uh, of getting into something like because it the way I think about it is for developing something you need it to be alive and you need it to be to get enough reps consecutively of that thing like if it's not alive enough it's not actually transferable skill like if it's you if you're just kind of there's certain amount of stuff you can get out of just kind of hitting a pal, but it's not going to, there's a lot of thing, timing, distance, when to throw it kind of stuff that you won't get on a static pal, for example. But if you don't, in sparring, it's hard to learn something just purely out of sparring because you won't do it enough times to improve it. But if you, but that's often because you're doing, like there's so much stuff you can do in, in normal sparring that it becomes like completely um, kind of like it's you're just swimming in nothingness. There's no kind of like you just you're adrift. Yeah. But unless you've unless you've artificially created your own game, like which most experienced fencers do, they've created their kind of they built this raft. That's their raft, and they don't leave the raft because they know it's safe on the raft, and there's sharks everywhere else. Um, but if you kind of focus, if you sparring games can kind of give you a little bit of make the, this part of the fencing universe you're explore, exploring more manageable and force you to kind of stay there and work on that small bit and also helps you take come out of your um, come out of your kind of uh, safe zone and work on new things. Yeah. And I find that, like, I've encountered this before where I've had people come into the academy for, like, a taster session, and we were doing sparring games. Um, and I think because they came, some of them came from a, you know, traditional Eastern martial art background, and they saw that we were doing sparring games, and they're like, ah, this isn't for me. Because there's this idea in martial arts, uh, you know, you all get into ranks, and you all do the sort of, you know, I'm going to do the punches kind yeah. of over and over again thing. And some people, for you know, for them that that's what works, and that they they want that that um, the discipline or the idea of discipline that comes from that, and that's fair enough. There's an element of that to like all training. There should be there should be you know. Yeah. But here's the thing: like Genghis Khan used games to like train his army how to be coherent. You know, like um, like hunting games and stuff like that. So if it's good enough for him, it's definitely good yeah. enough for me. So you know. Yeah, like I think the other thing that we have that that's big for me is like fencing is by definition a creative problem-solving exercise. 
Like, if there's not a problem, it's not fencing because you just walk up and hit him in the head, you know? <laughs> um, so, like, I think the more you get into that, the better. Now, the other thing that, the, like, generally I have, I've uh, over lockdown, I've kind of reworked a lot of how I, how I teach. I used to kind of be more for drills and then I've, I kind of, I, I, my entire background on kind of fencing and, and teaching is I started off in like 2011. Um, 2008, we went to uh, the Worldwide Open Championship Arts of Mars, which is an event that no longer exists, but it was seven days of HEMA. And at this point, we had absolutely, like, I picked up the Christian Tob Tobler's Secrets of the German Longsword, which old dogs will know what that is. But, um, and then we had ended up just kind of happening. Uh, well, we just moved to Switzerland from um, from Kansas and I was like 12 or something. And we the only kind of thing that we'd done up to then was like there was a LARP battle that was organized at a local Ren Fair after the Ren Fair was over. So we had 12 acres of Ren Fair buildings that a hundred people were bashing each other with foam swords over. Didn't, LARP wasn't even a thing. This was Kansas. It was just like, <laughs> with foam swords and we're like <laughs> yes <laughs> um uh, 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 there was like sam was like 10 and running around with a glaive and impossible to find so he just hide in crannies and stab people in their glass <laughs> and knock off their he figured out if you knocked off their glasses they're easier to hit and he was 10 <laughs> so nobody got mad at him <laughs> and also they couldn't find him yeah <laughs> but um so yeah, the Trollhofer began early with him. Um, so anyway, we, we, we thought, oh, well, we're in Europe, let's find things to do. And we almost went to this giant kind of German LARP event, but my father saw that that was camping and decided he would rather look for something else. So we found Arts of Mars, which was a HEMA event, which had a bed and breakfast. So that was more civilized. And I met Jake Norwood, uh, Alex Kiermaier, Scott Brown, Lopez Cardozo, uh, Phil and Caroline Marshall, who actually founded School of the Sword between before Fran and uh, Pim took it over. So like, we just kind of ended up landing smack dab in the middle of HEMA at the time. It was hilarious. We didn't even have any gear. We, they said, go grab, your, go grab your masks and your gloves. And we just stood there like, wait, you, you need masks? You need gloves? The, and this was, at this at, at this event, the Rawling synthetics came out. The first Rawling synthetics were at that event, and it was like groundbreaking technology because now you could stab each other. Like before, you were in, had nylons and you had you you had Albion blunts, uh, wooden swords, and aluminium blades, and none of them was fun to get stabbed in the face with hard. So. <laughs> Like a year after that, you had this renaissance of Absetsons because now people could train Absetsons at home without killing each other. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we came back uh, to our small town and kind of like Appenzell, which is podunk nowhere. It's like, uh, and in, in, in Switzerland and we started our own club and there was nobody to teach it um, because Roland uh, uh, Turkey was still around actually, um, he was teaching it and then he left. So I ended up at 14, 15 
teaching a HEMA club and starting one. Um, and we had one evening a week, which was an hour and a half. Wednesdays, an hour and a half, I had to train and I decided that I was going to like keep abreast of the international uh, tournament scene, which thinking back on it, how large that was is, is, is hilarious. Like that was not a big scene. Um, but it was still pretty competitive back then. Like people were like, the skills were hilariously low compared to a lot of what you see now, but people still wanted to win and worked hard. Um, and so I had to figure out how to get good on one and a half hours a week and make sure the other guys got good to get me good. So I got very into like, how do I do this efficiently? Um, and, and not at all Swiss uh, stereotypical way. So, um, I went through first kind of rote drills that didn't get people good very fast. And then I tried kind of like spicing it up technically kind of worked better kind of like a little bit more alive techniques and slowly over time, I moved more and more towards um, focusing on mechanics first, because one thing you do notice when you're teaching some people, you give them a technique and they're immediately able to do it. Yeah right? And then they're able to apply it in fencing. Other people, they struggle with every single technique you give them. Now, I deem that as completely inefficient for the program. Um, so I went, okay, what's the difference between these two, two people? And a lot of people just say fitness, but fitness also doesn't count because you get extremely fit people who can who are very coordinated, who can't do the technique. So what it often comes down to is what I call mental mechanics and physical mechanics. And like a lot of people, and you break down what are the mechanical elements for creating the power generation. Well, the hips need to be moving the sword, the arms need to be aligned and extended, blah, 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 blah. And these are all details that it took me a long time to figure out. Uh, through the help of a lot, great many people, um, and also mental mechanics of timing, uh, kind of like timing, distance, creativity, being cheek, being a cheeky asshole. Being a cheeky asshole is an important part of fencing. If you're not a cheeky asshole while fencing, you're not going to get anything done. Um, but like, and that doesn't mean hurt the other guy, but it's like what can I do to get under your skin or solve the problem in a, in a kind of like in a weird way? Um, what is your, the thing you like doing and how do I make you not do it? Um, because that's what fencing is. Um, so like that, and you need to kind of like figure out, give them those two things. And if you give them those two things, and that was something Jake Norwood taught me very early, that was great. Like just to get that dumped on me was, People can learn it through the game. If you create the game right, if you design, design the game correctly with the correct parameters, you will optimize the game for a specific set of techniques. If the people have the mechanical preconditions for it, they will develop those techniques by themselves. And they do, you can try it. Like, um, so that's kind of what I've been working for. And I did, a, there's a lot of mechanical drills that you can, I've kind of posted on Facebook, like, offside cutting into a uh, long point and then coming into ox and then cutting a mullinet into the long point on the other side and then coming into ox etc and just variants of that which get you and then rim cuts was a short edge 
ascent, uh, ascending cut, long edge descending cut, and transferring sides. And that, those things, if you do it with the correct hip rotation, everything will teach you how to move the sword mechanically correctly. But the other thing that I've gotten into over lockdown is kind of gate lockdown gave me a long time to review a lot of stuff and been looking a lot more Olympic coaches and strength training because that's always been like I was unashamedly an unfit nerd that HEMA forced me to get fit because otherwise I would get hit in the face by big Swedes um and like and that kind of so physical background has I've always kind of was more out thinking the problems than out working them and that I've gotten better at that but compared to say the Russians who deadlift a full cow a day um <laughs> like there's some at some point you need to start getting in the game so um but the other thing looking at it is like you can try and get people use fencing motions like those kind of pun like the in the row punches to get people into doing the right mechanics provided they they have a baseline fitness and it's not even fitness as in like we think are you kind of like an aesthetic of fitness but like sometimes the people who look fit certain muscle groups may not be there to support certain things like if you hold a long, a long sword extended and you cut into a long point, there's an awful lot of pressure on a very certain amount of, of um, muscles. And if you do that with, a bat, with uh, weak muscles in those groups, after the third rep, the third rep, the reps start getting, are no longer clean. So if you do 25 and after the third rep, the reps start getting shit and they start pulling the hands in to reduce the pressure, then you're doing three good reps and 20 and uh, 22 bad reps, right? And that's not great math for improvement. <laughs> so I'm not even good at math and I know that's not good math. <laughs> so um, one thing that I've been working more on and I went back to the sources of how do the sources show us how to train? Well, if you go back to the sources, every single time you see people training, you see groups and you always see four things. You see, a guy doing uh, plyometric training with some kind of rock or something. You see um, some kind of weird gymnastics and it turns out most of it seems to be a variant of pommel horse or bridges or something like that, which doing a full bridge or doing Olympic pommel horse, look up Olympic pommel horse, it is insane. So if you think these guys were not fit, they're doing any variant of an Olympic pommel horse, it's, they were, completely ripped and with especially core strength um you see wrestling and you see fencing so you always see those four you basically so you see plyometric strength um mobility on kind of plyometric strength but gymnastics will force you into mobility um you see wrestling and you see fencing so one th since lockdown has let since we've come back from training um we've been training for about a a month now, month and a half, because we, we have an outdoor venue with a roof and kind of, we have to keep a very small group of people. Um, uh, and we, this, we do circuits. So we do one, basically uh, two 40, 40 second circuits, and then you switch to the two 40 seconds um, with the 30 second rest in between, and then you switch to the next one. 
Um, and we've got a, a few new beginners coming in on that. And one thing that I'm seeing is if you focus the plyometric strength with medicine balls into working the correct muscle groups and you place it before the fencing station, you can train the muscle groups to activate correctly in order to preload the muscle, the correct movements for um, fencing. For example, if you are working to work on uh, a sparring game, which is basically one side, one person can only attack with chair house. The other person has to then defend and figure out how he's going to deal with that. You know, it's a very simple sparring game, um, but it gives a lot of freedom. You can go left, left on your trejo, which fucks people up. Um, because you go left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, left, and then it hits them. Um, cheeky asshole side of fencing. But if you're doing that, if you, one, you can, what you can do is before that, the, the two people who are then going to move on to the fencing station, um, you have to uh, toss a medicine ball to each other by just twisting their core. And you can even hold it, base, hold the medicine ball at head height, and then your hands are basically in the position you're going to be doing a tear in, and you're having to tr generate explosive power from the core. Well, you do that, and then for two sets of 40 seconds, then you move on to fencing. And what have that muscle's just been doing for the last under, under load for the last minute and a half? Exactly what they're going to be, should be doing for Trejo. So that will help develop that. Um, the other thing you can do is you can use tools to force clean reps. If you fence each other with a sock rolled up inside a sock, um, one of the biggest issues that it's hard to get people to understand at the beginning is momentum. Because when you swing a sword, you should feel how the force moves up to the tip of the sword and the sword leads. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You get that momentum and then it swings up and it swings around and you get that fluid thing that looks all cool. And also it's incredibly important because once you're moving with like at huge speeds with the sword, all of a sudden, what seems like it's only a few grams at the end becomes 600 pounds that you're moving and you're having to kind of redirect and move around. So at that point with the sock, it teaches them how to manage that very quickly. And it also teaches them um, extension because you're trying to reach and hit them. The other guy sparring, you're trying to reach and hit them with the sock. So you're teaching to reach with the arm and get nice extension. And then you're also teaching them rhythm and tempo because socks, when you're swinging the sock, has an offbeat and an onbeat. As the swing sock is swinging behind you, you can't cheat that. If you try and pull it back out, it doesn't work. So it teaches people, now is the safe time to attack. Now is not the safe time to attack. And it teaches that. So like you can use tools in a way to help focus on specialized things without you having to constantly nag at people because that's I'm a lazy person and I do not like going to someone and saying straighten your arms for like 10 times that's just not fun you know like I am a bit I, I'm here to fence they're here to fence and literally telling someone to straighten the arms is scientifically proven as the absolute worst way of telling someone to straight getting someone to straighten their arms like um, there's, there's scientific studies on like uh, internal cueing. So telling people to straighten your arm is a lot worse than just saying, I want you to imagine like you're reaching into the sky as you're doing it. Like that one 
the objective of I want you to tr imagine or try and do something always worked better. Um, there's um, there's a thing that I, I think I've probably mentioned before on um, on the podcast when I was uh, teaching English. Uh, it was it was something that I used to do. And I, I do it now with fencing as well. It's called guided discovery, where mm -hmm. rather than if somebody asked me what a word was when I was out in Italy, if somebody said, what does this word mean? Um, rather than just telling them, uh, I'd, I'd either use it in context or I'd have a conversation with them about it where I'd force them to think about the word. Um, and, you know, it, it would then help to cement it in their memory mm -hmm. and give them a reason to try and use it you know, more organically than if I just went, you know, oh, it's this, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think that the two things are kind of similar in that, you know, um, you know, why am I straightening my arms? Well, if I stand here and your, your elbows are bent, you know, throw that, you know, sort of like um, throw that pendente or, or that obahau or that, you know, descending strike. Yeah. It's not, it's not touching me. Uh, and then we move around a little bit more and it's like, you know, I'll, I'll start, I'll keep backing out and force them to extend in a way that isn't going to throw mm -hmm. them off balance and stuff. The, the other, the, the other thing that I tend to struggle with, like it, it always changes it. We're very lucky that in, in our club, we've got a fair amount of like, we're a tiny club. So like we probably have like eight people on our training or something. Uh, half of those people are like, half of the instructors um on it sometimes so like um we're kind of lucky that we can do that but like one thing that you run into is if you tell one person i want you to feed this attack like this and it's like their third weekend you're going to get a completely different attack every time they try and do it. You're lucky if it stays a descending attack. And that's nothing against them. That's just like their body is still freaking out that they're holding a sword. <laughs> like, like I'm holding a sword. Your why am I holding a sword? And like they're having this conversation of why they're holding a sword with their body while they're trying to also get something done. It's kind of, you know, you can see it happening sometimes. Um, and that's, that's um, like, I call it the bad acting problem. Like it's really hard to pretend to be something. Like a, a coach can feed you an attack like as if it was a noob or whatever and they can do it reliably or do this thing in exactly this way which makes this attack make sense. But a lot of times I feel we get into the try of like, okay, I want you to practice this counter or this defense which is specifically meant against this kind of attack. And if it's 30 degrees off in either way, that defense no longer really makes sense and you're training the wrong response. But the aiming reticle that the person is feeding you on is probably 50 degrees either way or it's 90 degrees either way. You know, like it, it could go, it could come in as a completely flat strike or completely straight descending strike. And you're looking for a very narrow kind of angle that that specific defense makes sense and yeah it's it so that's that's the other thing like trying to find a way that it's the whatever you're drilling is flexible enough that you don't have to always come there and kind of like be correcting it 
in do it yourself that you can it's a solid enough exercise that you can hand it to a guy who is it's his second week and tell him to do it and you won't worry about him doing it wrong enough that it'll kind of create that it'll break the game that or the drill that you're giving them because if you only allow that one defense to that attack and the, the guy's only supposed to do that one defense and he doesn't do the th attack that makes sense you kind of the game you get blue screen of death like when your game glitches out and just goes boof. yeah uh, no i know yeah, no, it's, it's giving people the the tools to solve the problems is it's a really tough thing to do initially when people like i was talking i can't remember who i was talking to about this i think it was maybe uh it was jay maxwell it was a it was a yeah 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 and we were talking about um we were talking about false masters like modern day false masters and all this sort of stuff and um you know people um some of them are absolute charlatans some of them completely believe their own bullshit but um i think i was talking specifically about like the chairborn division that you get online you know the the guys who yeah. Um, they've seen every episode of Naruto, so they think they know everything there is to know about, like, whatever martial art kind of thing. Um, and I get it all the time on, like, uh, on TikTok and and, uh, and Instagram and Facebook. I get, oh, you, sh you know, you should have done this. Like, I would have done this kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, we're drilling. It's like, it's clear we're drilling, right? Um, and it's it's the people who want they want they want to be masters now they don't give a shit about the journey you know uh, it's about the journey not the destination they don't give a fuck about that they just they want they want master they want mastery right now um mm -hmm. and so it's like yeah okay but what you know um i'll say all right so somebody throws you a descending strike from the right shoulder kind of thing right this is a good way of dealing with it and they go yeah but what about if they throw a left and i'm like well then you you do you do it on the left side kind of thing it's like but what if what if it's an ascending thing i'm like well maybe maybe let's get the the first part right first. yeah you know and then we'll, yeah, then we'll move on from there because uh because otherwise like it you, i'm just going to bombard you with stuff um, exactly yeah and i mean don't get me wrong i love that attitude when i get new people through the door and they're like oh, like yeah what, what what books can i read what exercises can i do um i something that my guys started literally before i came on the podcast was um I, I don't know how it started but they each like somebody nominated uh i think it was um chris evans who's one of my favorite guys he's in, in the world he's just an awesome dude um he basically he just went hey guys i'm at the back training um you know because uh, it's a lovely day we were talking about swords that we want to buy and he's like it's got me excited so he went out the back he did a cutting drill he filmed himself doing a cutting drill and he's like i nominate and then he said uh, somebody else i think it was uh, michael cavaldo who's another like really good fencer who's you know, coming to my school and showing a lot of promise and all that sort of stuff so he's like i nominate him to do a cutting drill and it's kind of gone on from there where each one oh, is nice. i know and i like i had fuck all to do with it which is great like to me, I'm yeah. so goddamn proud of them yeah. for doing that. Um, I mean, like I, I didn't do anything um, to to suggest this. It was them. Um, so I love that kind of stuff. And you and I have talked about this. The the sort of the 
there's there's kind of a, a like a dual identity to Hema. And in the one hand, you have the guys who train hard and, you know, and, and they are yeah. asses and they are le like legitimate, not just fencers or humorists. And I'm not throwing shade on, on either of those things, not like, but they yeah. are legitimate fucking martial artists um, and badasses. And then there's almost like this resentment from the other side towards it. So the people that you were talking about before who might not have the same kind of coordination uh, and might not have the same level of fitness rather than going, okay, well, I want to get there. I'm operating, you know, I'm operating here. I want to be here much higher, right? Not, not necessarily to compete. Um, I've said it a load of times on the podcast. I don't really give a shit about tournaments. I'll go to them and I'll have fun, but it's not the reason that I train. Um, you know, but they don't like, they don't want to get better. And in fact, they kind of almost try to diminish people who do want to get better, you know? Yeah. Like it's tricky. Like also because Hema is very unique in that there's been all this entire discussion on what is Hema. And for me, like Hema is a grassroots attempt at archaeological, uh, experimental archaeology with a massive um, kind of testing section and multiple different uh, fields involved. And tournaments have always kind of been that final kind of test of the theory. The, and so you have all these, the, I ex also kind of like compare it to a space program. You have your fencers who are kind of like the astronauts. They're the ones who step out and they, they get the live stream in the end, right? They get to step out and go one small turhow for mankind, you know? And, uh, and, but behind them stand the, the the organizers who are kind of like the, the the mission control who have spent a month or two months ahead planning that tournament wrangling judges shitting their pants that they're having to they might have to spend their month's rent on paying for this event it it all goes tits up because if nobody shows up that's what they're doing they're paying their holiday that they were have to that they're going to have for the first time in four years with the wife on uh, paying for this hall rental that for nobody that showed up and they're going to have to have, have that conversation. You know, this is <laughs> real shit. Um, you know, you have the people and they're going to give up their weekend to basically shit bricks the entire weekend that things are going off rails. Um, and they might try and compete and then hate themselves that why they did so badly while they're expressing <laughs> about everything. Yeah. And then, um, then there's, of course, then there's the kit manufacturers who make it possible by having the kit? There's the um, the, the there's the uh, the theoretical physicists, uh, or uh, who are uh, they're trying to kind of they're the interpreters. Like interpreter is a very different job than fighter, and there are some people who are, who can do both but you cannot be the top of the game on both. It's just impossible. Like at the beginning, everybody was a Renaissance man, but you now it's very much a crew. You have someone who goes into the manuals, figures it out, interprets it. 
And then some fencers will go, will fencers who will go, I like that interpretation. I will spend six months training it. I will sink a hundred hours of my life into understanding this or interpretation of this set of moves until I can pull it off at a really strong level. And that's, you know, that's seriously what you do. You spend a hundred hours on this thing, maybe less if you're a little bit better and you can just kind of shake it out of your wrist. Um, and then you have the uh, you kind of then you have the ast- the, uh, the the astrologers that's uh, not astrologers astronomers um, <laughs> who are the researchers who are there finding the planets that you want to go to and figuring out how, where things are going, and each one of those people needs to do their job and be good at their job, and gain trust from the other and buy in from the other groups and. When that all works and you have team, the, the team, the entire space program works together, you get crazy, fascinating, amazing stuff and wonderful talks and insightful discussions and blah, blah, blah. If each team yells at the other team that they're not doing their job, which is 10, 10 and you generally like it, people tend to yell at the, the fencers because they're the one who, they're the fly boys who are getting the, uh, the, the, the fi- fighters are the ones who are the, like out there waving and in front of the camera and getting medals and stuff with the work that everybody else did and the other people don't get as much uh, uh, credit for it or at least they think they don't a lot of times they get more credit than the fighters most of the time a fighter who wins something his name's gone like a day after but a lot of prominent researchers are and people are known but they get very but a lot of people get very annoyed that the other people are getting public limelight which i think should be fixed we should have coaches and and coaches its own unique thing as well but people should also be getting more screen time for their own roles in the space program on prominent like uh prominent um live streams etc because in the end we're not getting paid so recognition is the only payment that the community offers besides the vague idea of personal fulfillment which helps but it doesn't ha- it doesn't keep you going there's if you're just working on personal fulfillment without any recognition you do burn out eventually in a community or you become a hermit which most researchers have because they don't get recognition um but yeah like the the chair force the the, the the people and then there's just bad versions of astronauts and bad versions of astronomers and you know blah 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 but generally you get you tend to get people yelling at each other. They, they fucked up the mission because they were just had one job, you know. All you had to do was just sink that Oberhof. I gave you everything you needed. No, you didn't. Like, <laughs> um, so like that, that, when people yell, when people don't take ownership of what their role is in that entire thing is when things get tricky. And like, you see that even in events, like, we wear so many different hats at an event as just a normal fencer that it, it, I think it's important to understand what, what, what role you're supposed to be doing. Like if I'm in a tournament and I'm fighting, my only hat that I'm wearing inside that tournament is how do I solve the problem, the rules and the fencers giving me in the most efficient way possible while achieving my own long-term goals. Like there's things that I have to balance there, but that's what I'm going. Now, my problem isn't then at that point, how do I make my opponent fence more historically? That is not my issue. That is like, 
oh, this rule set is fucked up is not my issue. My issue is how do I solve the mission that I've been given in that moment? And if you go anywhere else and you try and wear a different hat, it starts getting, you start, you get lost. Now, the moment I come out of that bout or that tournament is over, I can put on my HEMA citizen hat and go to the, go to the organizer, buy him a beer and say, you know about those afterblow rules that were in that last that thing i think it may have caused a few issues in this sense or i this double this rule on doubles i don't think it really reduced doubles it seemed to make people more nervous and they doubled more i think and i've been talking to some of the guys i've seen it in other tournaments too i think that might be something oh no okay okay Sure, sure, sure. Like it's you know you have and the, but that's a different thing, right? Or if I'm, or if I'm the tournament organizer, my my question should be how do I get people to fence more historically? But that's my job then as the tournament organizer. It's not when I'm in the match as the fighter. You know, there's which hat am I wearing at that moment, and can I do the job that's been given to me? Like it's. You see it in real life, like there's one, the guy is supposed to be low, like, okay, I don't know, random example. If you're supposed to be loading boxes in a truck and you're supposed to get the boxes loaded in the truck and you see someone else who's filling the boxes, like you can go sit there, watch them and bitch that they're not filling the boxes right, but that means that you're not loading the stuff in the truck. And then he bitches at you that you're not loading, and then nothing gets done. <laughs> you know, like we can, it's easy to get embroiled. Like, and as long as I think each one of those jobs, like organizing is a lot of work, research is a lot of work. People think, don't realize, like, to get an, a single nugget of interesting info on maybe like Feshula rules from the 15th, 16th century, someone had to go through literal tons of just irrelevant stuff on um like trade disputes between nuremberg and uh and and vienna and not like in a sexy way but it, as in like well we agreed that this meant an l would be this long no 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 we want an l to be this long no 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 it's gonna be this long well then we're not gonna buy your uh, wool and I'm not going to buy your lederhosen, you know, like that kind of shit. Just like stuff that nobody cares about. Not even the people then maybe, except for the people who are making money off of it. Like for some person, it was going to be really important. But for everybody else, they were just annoyed that they had to deal with it. And like they had to deal with hours and hours of that. And they did that instead of playing video games or going out for dinner with their wife or, you know, they they did, or, or playing with their children. They went through that and now they have to, and now they like, they, they dumped this and they were so excited that someone, so many people were gonna read it and share it. And people were more interested in Horny Friday uh, <laughs> on, on pajamas or whatever the hell, you know, like, yeah. or Scalagrim's new video that he, or Shad, that's the thing that we have to talk about. Whereas that guy, the thing that th that guy did, that the researcher did that advanced the community in unmeasurable ways, or could if people cared about it, just just gets lost. Nobody cares about that. Like, you know, except for a few people who kind of talk about it and put in, 
and, and, and move it forward. And I, I can kind of understand that, you, you know, not, it's not everybody's thing. And, you know, like some days you can put in a podcast about something in, in, interesting and some days, I don't know, you just need to listen to 40K audiobooks to get yourself through a shit work day. I don't know. Like sometimes, not everybody, not every day is an intellectual heavy lifting day. But I think it's important that in, within the community, we at least give people the benefit the doubt and acknowledge the amount of work that it takes to do the job, the other role right, and give people that respect. And once you give everybody the respect, mutually things kind of roll, roll a lot smoother. And if you don't like it, just ignore it, just move on your own role yeah. load your own damn box yeah i mean that's the thing to me is like i mean my the thing that i find the most funny in in the world um is just irrational anger right if you know if somebody just loses their shit over a minor thing if i'm in the room and it's like somebody i care about i'll i'll, I'll probably think oh you know there's there's clearly something going on here are you okay but like when you when you just see people um, just losing their shit over nothing, I for some reason it just cracks me up. You know, uh, there's like that short video or a gif or something of a like of a guy just going nuts and destroying his computer. I laughed for like days over that. I don't know why, but it just tickles me. Um, so one of the things that I like. I tend to do is when I get these comments and stuff, I just try and like wind them up um, as much as I can. Because when I get people, you know, uh, challenging me to duels and all this sort of stuff, um, I'm just completely losing their shit. Uh, it like it's great for me, but I, and it's also um, like you know, uh, sort of thing on how the sausage gets made here. But if you want to get followers, you need to get people commenting on your on your. Um, on, on your yeah. um so for me if i get into an argument with somebody who's just like oh you you're a goddamn bullshito artist you don't know what you do and i'll just be like you know like i said just stringing them along um fantastic but it, it's that thing of uh you know like you said um different as long as the different uh, people within the community don't factionalize we're, we're doing you know we're doing okay i mentioned this i don't know who i was talking to about this but i talked about it on the podcast um you know i mentioned daniel my bjj coach earlier we were doing a takedown or something and i lit like i got out my phone and i showed him and i was like look like this is fiore did this this is fucking hundreds of years old isn't it cool it's the same thing and he's like yeah cool man anyway um, and I'm just like, who could not give a shit, right? <laughs> um, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, and that's that's totally cool. Like, you're interested in your thing and like do it, like and and just getting into it and and uh, rolling and um, and uh, and us like and and sparring whatever. Um, and he knows, like, he knows his stuff, but the stuff that he knows is the modern, like. Um, it's the modern version of jiu-jitsu or the or brazilian jiu-jitsu anyway like if i were to talk to him about kano or like you know the 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 origin of jiu-jitsu he might know some stuff but like i don't think he gives a fuck he just he just wants to fight like he you know and that's his that's his thing and i'm like okay cool 
but he also does give credit to the people who taught him and they you know they yeah. they're, they're obviously like hugely respectful of of the the people who taught them because there's um even though you know brazilian jiu-jitsu technically not eastern but you know it's obviously you can trace its roots to uh, the east there's this like fascination with the myth the origin myth in a lot of eastern martial arts that's kind of like lacking i guess in in um some western stuff you know western with a big kind of like asterisk but like mm. krav maga like you know there were people i would i, I would talk to about um emil lechtenfeld the guy who like sort of um came up with it and they're like who and i'm like right on anyway you know and they don't they don't care about it and that's cool and they could kick the fuck out of me you know they were better fighters than i was so knowing this stuff doesn't give me any kind of edge but it's like you know it's obviously my interest um and uh yeah like sometimes there is this kind of thing um like you, you know we were like um what is historical european martial arts is like this hot button topic at the moment or it was i don't know if it still is i kind of lost track but um there's you know there's a lot of like outside of hema um as well there's like a lot of people going well what's a martial art you know uh what, what is like a martial art at all um and, and loads what is like what is eternity what yeah, is, am yeah, i cake totally. is this cake is my sword cake yeah, I, I, yeah. There's a the, like we do tend like I, there seems to be a zeitgeist of navel gazing at the moment, and like I'm sounding glib about it, but like we do need to kind of question a little bit what is what, but we do end up like time over with time we ended up coming up with like uh, understandable definitions of things like but there's. I think MMA has also shaken up the idea of what is martial arts. Like it used to be martial boxing wasn't a martial art. And now people are going like, I don't know. Boxing seems to be pretty like useful for actually hitting people. <laughs> um, but like, I think that is to me the most, it, one of the interesting aspects of HEMA, like to be an astronaut, for example, and go back you don't need, you could be a complete jarhead astronaut who doesn't give a fuck about, anything all he needs to do is know how to fix the spaceship be hard to duck kill <laughs> think on his feet on how to solve things and like not puke in the in, in the spinning machine you know like that would like he doesn't have to be fascinated by the vast expanse of space he can just be completely motivated by the like the fact that he'll be able to put on a jacket and get free beers for the rest of his life. Like that may be all he cares about, you know, but it doesn't necessarily, like that still doesn't make him as good an astronaut as if he did care. Like you can get the good stuff out of it, but like being in the game and caring, like the whole thing of like, what is it? Um, what is Himan? You can, you do Himan by just kind of like, is it, is, swords are swords are historical and messing about with swords is historical so just by messing around with swords you're doing hema yes you are you're being the control group you're being a control group like because if you think about how hema works you have a, each tournament is a massive survey with recorded results 
of what happened. Like, unfortunately, you don't have tags of whether you are the control group or this, but you do start to get like consensuses of how certain training techniques result. I can tell you based on certain clubs, I can tell you based on how they train, what their results will be on, on what things, what they'll be good at and how you can kind of outmaneuver some of those things just because like certain things create certain things and they have interpretations of how Lichnor or Fiori thought about fighting in that shapes, how they train, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But like what your tests, your, those, we have a lot of just kind of tests of what works, what doesn't work in a somewhat pressurized contest. And yeah, you can, if you can go in and without, it's useful data points for the test if you just send someone in who has no experience in HEMA, but did a lot of other stuff, you know, that'll tell you, okay, can your interpretation of this martial art from 500 years ago withstand this stressor? And then you have to go back and reevaluate, reevaluate re your results and say, was this actually, what, how good was the survey itself? You know, if, if you're fighting with wet pool noodles, it may not teach you much about a heavy binding system. You know, the, the result, the cert, this format of the survey may not have been optimized for what you're doing. Um, but, you know, like if you're trying to create this entire like in-depth martial art and some dude off the street grabs a sword and can beat anybody that comes in, maybe your interpretation is flawed. And the interpretation of what that martial art includes includes a lot of things. It also includes fitness because you, you're also interpreting uh, and assuming a certain level, level of fitness. You're trying to become this platonic model of the fencer from the period and how they think, how they're constructed, what their capabilities are, blah, 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 blah. And fitness is part of it. So if you're not creating that kind of fitness, you're not also being a very accurate test subject um, but yeah, like, I mean, and I, when you're doing it, when you're doing, wearing your hat as a fencer, you need to be wearing, like, you, you believe you're the only accurate interpretation, kind of, so you just kind of don't care what everybody else does. Like, talking about winding people up, that's the best way of losing a match ever. Just deciding that the other person isn't doing it right. Like, that the other person is, he's fencing wrong. Mm. Well, you're probably thinking that because you're losing <laughs> and getting angry that he's fencing wrong is not going to solve the problem. And doing what you were just doing harder is probably gonna make you lose harder. Like, unless it's just that you've just been sleeping and being lazy. Yeah, I think that's something that, <sighs> It, it like it must have happened to everybody at some point where you know you've spent ages refining like a, a particular technique or a, you know th this is how this is done kind of thing and then you see the way like somebody you come up against and they're they're just like the way they're fighting is just ugly um you know they're doing the like they're again they're doing the wrong things like they're they're leaning forward on one, like coming up on one leg kind of thing and um but they're scoring touches and it, it's like uh shit yeah that would have landed kind of thing and you know people like i i hate like i'll confess i hate the flesh but if it lands it lands and you have to learn to defend against it and all this sort of stuff 
and uh it's that thing of like yeah i i know what you mean you come away going well that was bullshit but then it worked so i need to not let it you know yeah exactly like and like a lot like that that's one of the other things like it's like the the freedom of playing the being the villain like as the flesh guy you know you don't have to or, or whatever you know fencing ugly when you're fencing ugly you kind of know you're fencing ugly and you've kind of lost that battle and you forfeited that front but if you're trying to fence pretty you like to an a gestalt idea of what you think pretty works looks like and also trying to solve the problem you're solving trying to solve two problems you're solving for x and for y and you can't solve for x and y precisely you can solve for x but once you add a second unknown that you're matching that equation to you're gonna be screwed so like i think it's just you have to that's why i think there's a lot of freedom in just going what is this problem that's being presented to me by the rule set and either i look either i did the homework and i my mechanics will make me will keep me within the bounds of what i feel is correct and or it won't like and that's and even like i think it's interesting that we have such a focus on visual aesthetics for what fencing should look like you know what i mean like Oh, does it visually match something for other people watching me? Do I look historical? Like, is it more important to look historical or to solve the the problem using historical tools? You know, that's always like. Sorry, I was just going to say, I wonder if that's ingrained in the, like almost the DNA of, of, western sword fighting though because like when you when you think about um like that there's a i'm not sure if it's manchelino but it's it's part of the bolognese system where it's like it like it, it says that there's like a, a paragraph somewhere i can't remember and it's like it has to be beautiful right um because mm-hmm. if it's not beautiful then it's not fencing it's some other shit and it's like really dismissive of anything that isn't again aesthetically pleasing and i mean i know that's the renaissance and that's everything like everything has to be aesthetically pleasing kind of thing um and obviously you wouldn't feel that way if the you know if if the arena changes from two people fencing in you know a friendly or not even not a friendly bout but wherein there is an audience um to two people who are fighting to the death on a battlefield they're not going to give a shit you know you know like i mean but then then again i think even then i say that you you kind of have to forfeit two fronts but like there's always like you there's a lot to be gained by forfeiting the winning front the the pure winning the match front like because if you win the match ugly nobody wants to talk to you (laughs) nobody wants to talk to you then you don't get any invites to other match to other events or to teach or whatever you don't get any invites you don't travel you don't travel you don't improve your skills you know there's there's a certain kind of feedback loop of becoming of playing the social game as well yeah um and that's a historical thing and like even if you look we think of 
battle, you know, as like this battlefield, very important. Like Dom Duarte straight up tells you, like, it doesn't care battle. He doesn't care battle or tournament. If you're a knight, you want your hits to be seen what you're doing on the battlefield because you're a professional. If you take out half the army and nobody knows it was you, great. That's cool. You know, it happens to William Marshall as well. That's yeah. cool. But you didn't, you just risked your neck for no gain. There's no financial gain at all. Like nobody knows it was you. Nobody cares it was you. You just go back to whatever you were doing and you're still a lowly freelancer, you know? And like, you can, like, it goes, same thing as for a modern thing. Like, you can, like, do amazing work. If nobody knows you did, you don't get any more jobs. You don't get, like, and that's something I, you know, that's something, like, and that's not easy to also remember to, as, as Arnold Schwarzenegger put it, work like hell and advertise, you know? The advertising is working like hell as well, you know? And that's, mm-hmm. um... So like it's, I think that I think there's always that that dual game even historically and sometimes in a match you kind of have to go like which which am I gonna take now? But purely for the fo- focus of winning the match, if you're fo- also worrying about aesthetics, then you're gonna get. I, I'd much rather think about how to solve the problem in front of me and hope that the work homework I did keeps me intact. And also like a lot of what we consider aesthetic is just good mechanics good mechanics end up looking aesthetic mm. and you also won't look, won't look very aesthetic if you get all frustrated about what someone else is doing it just looks like you makes you look like an entitled prat <laughs> yeah I've, um, I've only seen one storm off so far um like somebody like throwing their mask down on the floor and and and, and storming off of a of a tournament and i think i i may have mentioned this on the podcast as well it was super awkward because later they won a technical award <laughs> and so they had to like they had to like stand in front of everybody and uh, and, and receive this technical award but the applause was like it was just kind of you know that <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah that, that's that's one of those you yeah. took the bridge at what cost moments. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And um no, it's you know, and and that's the thing, you're right. Um good body mechanic. When you get something um and it's done and it's done with uh it's done with grace, but it's also lethal in the you know, in the sexiest way. It's like it, it is, it's usually just that people's hips were engaged and that they're you know their feet were in the right position and their arms were just so you know and um i think that's probably like as i consider myself i consider myself personally to be a pretty average fencer and like a pretty average martial artist um and it's one of those things where because because my focus is so scattered you know so like Mm -hmm. i I want to be able to research the sources and go, okay, you know, I'm going to like, look, you know, I'll look at this and okay, this is, you know, basically so that if my students ask me, oh, hey, why, why are we doing this in this particular way? 
I can say, well, first of all, it's a good defense against X. Um, and, you know, second of all, because there's historical precedent for it, and here it is kind of thing. So I can give them both. But then there are, you know, there are days where it's like, either I've spent my time training, and so then I'm not studying, or I've spent my time studying, and so I'm not training. And so I end up being maybe a good all-rounder, but not like, not a specialist, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, I, it, it does. I mean, like, I, I, I get that, like, even with, um, from running the company and running and, and doing horse, horse work on, on that, so like doing Rossfechten as well, you know, and like horses, like there's a lot of, you're spinning, spinning those plates between technical you know developing technical skill versus uh pure athleticism versus you know um uh mental bravery and engagement on the horse as well so you're managing those training times but like yeah you know is that 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 i think but i think also that generalist thing is why it's so important to have a theoretic a strong theoretical framework from your source and that's why i love Lichtenauer so much he breaks it down he's very simple there's before and after that's all there is like you're and then that becomes weak and then you add then from that flows weak and strong and indus so you have the balancing act between proactive reactive giving and taking and then there's the kind of within finding your balance in between those, whereas you within the movement of the movement, you can do something. Okay, that's all you need. Just figure it out from there. It doesn't matter whether you're on the battle, whether you're commanding troops, you're figuring out how to balance your finances, you're figuring out how to do ride a horse, negotiate a peace treaty, do your, you know, like find your way to Tesco. It doesn't matter, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna involve acting reacting deciding to push deciding to give and then acting within a moment like everything you do involves those things and if you i think one of the sources is maybe in lichner is much most interested in i think for me was finding things and ways of expressing this system that you can apply as a problem solving and analytical tool to different scenarios because like whatever you're doing it's going to be different from what you did before that's just nothing happens exactly the same twice because you'll also be different the next time it happens so like i think and the the, the diversity isn't a bad thing i think in to some degrees as long as you're not always playing in a very small arena which kind of Sports tend to make you do that. That's what makes a sport a sport. It's a defined game that you repeat because it's a measuring tool. And, and I think, and, but I think like one thing that I've always found is if you can figure out how to like link your disparate skills, it makes life a lot easier and you're, it's a lot less lost. Like working with horses, you can learn a lot about your fencing and your fencing can teach you about horses and doing your taxes can teach you about pain tolerance, which teaches you about fencing. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
buddy this has been absolutely fantastic and yeah. uh, no thank you thank you so much for bringing me on no this has been so much fun and like we should just talk more in general i think because uh this is this has been great um before you head off where can people find you online also uh if like promote force of virtue uh yeah so um the other thing that we're we work on is um we've got a uh a tabletop art um war game that we've been working on one thing i didn't get into is the research I do on 15th century warfare and small unit tactics, which I published a couple things on, on Acta Periodica, and I do regular talks at the International Medieval Congress for. So, but basically every time I, we do research, we basically poured it into a war games rule set to try and figure out and simplify things. So it's a war games rule set that uses Fiori's virtues for command and control, and you build your deck, your war band, your kind of mercenary party using cards, which can have everything from weapons to soldiers to um, uh, kind of like special effects or training things or special scenario rules, etc. Um, and you build your warbound out of those and including decks, which we're just now about to include uh, fencing master decks. So you can have your Italian condottieri mercenaries with a kind of Bo uh, Fury bonus deck, so they are using Fury techniques and Fury special weapons. That's cool. Uh, so yeah, we do that, and then we run um, Horsemen of Era, which is where you can find us usually on Facebook, which is a stunt group in uh, Southern Ireland. We do live shows and film work, and uh, we're doing a Witcher fan film at the moment, which is hopefully nearing the end of its first act, uh, that you can find at Monstrum. Uh, a witcher's tale um and i've got some under horseman of era we have some training on youtube we also have some cool training videos that i would definitely suggest you check out if you want to just pound reps if you'd like to find out more about historical european martial arts visit www.academyofsteel.com or you can shoot us over a message at info at academy of steel uh yeah that's it actually info at academyofsteel.com i lost my thread there for a second or you can find us on instagram tiktok facebook twitter youtube that was the last one it's been a long day but youtube you can find us on youtube